Welcome to Soaring the Sky, a Glider Pilots Podcast. Hello, my name is Chuck. I'll be your host. This is episode 11. Our guest today joins us from the Williams Soaring Center, located near the southern edge of the Mendocino Mountains in California, well known for its fantastic summer and fall cross-country flying, as well as for its mountain wave and powerful thermals. Our guest pilot started flying gliders at the age of 13 and soloed at the age of 15. He has been working at Williams Soaring Center for the last two years. He also attended Sacramento State's Air Force ROTC program. He is currently pursuing his private powered license as well as his commercial glider license. Welcome to the podcast, Ted Reynolds. How are you? I'm doing well, Chuck. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking your time to be on the show today. No, of course. It is kind of surreal for me to be on a, uh, a podcast. A lot of my, most of my entertainment that I listen to are podcasts. So to be on one is, is really interesting, especially one about aviation. Oh, thank you. It is. I love podcasts myself. You know, I've listened to quite a few of them and continue to do so. So where exactly did your story in aviation, when did that get started? Well, it is. I mean, my initial interest in aviation is pretty hard to pinpoint. Um, I've always wanted to be a pilot for as long as I can remember. It's one of those things where I tell people I've, I can never remember a point in my life where I didn't want to be a pilot. So I don't really actually remember my initial inspiration. But my initial foray to actual flying, I suppose, started when um, I started flying RC when I was about eight or nine. And uh, that eventually culminated into um, me flying giant scale and getting pretty deep into that. Now, did you fly just uh, the powered RCs, or did you actually do some gliders too in the RC? That's actually a good question. I had never, I've never um, flown RC gliders before. Uh, it basically, it started out with a, uh, a, a foamy for for guys who fly RC. It had about a 40-inch wingspan or so of a Super Cub and um, electric, and then eventually worked my way into nitro, and then my my big giant-scale airplanes uh, is pump gas, so it runs on just regular car gasoline. Oh, nice. I haven't got into the RC stuff, but it looks very cool. I actually had an RC glider fly pretty close to me one day when I was, when yeah. I was in my glider, and it kind of caught me off guard for a second because it was pretty large. So I guess it was one of the larger scales, but he stayed his distance, but it just was, I was like, what? Wait a minute. What's that? It's not a... <laughs> It's not a full-scale glider. What is it? It's like, I can't tell if it's really close or it's just far away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I spotted the guy in a field below me, and he had he obviously had controls in his hand and was looking up. And I was like, oh, okay, I got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely some of the uh, the newer gliders have been really impressed with. Like, they're, uh, a company called E-Flight has, um, I think it's a, a nine-foot wingspan foamy glider and actually has working spoilers and stuff on it. It's really interesting stuff. Yeah, that is, that is some cool stuff. So where did it go from there? Um, well, I was about, I think it was, I was 12 or 13, and um, I'd asked my dad if I could start taking flying lessons uh, naturally. My my dad uh, felt a little uncomfortable with me flying a powered airplane, something with fuel on board, you know, in-flight fires or, you know, stuff like that. So he had suggested, well, why don't you, uh, why don't you start with gliders? And I said, okay. So I went on the internet and searched up glider ports near me or whichever and uh ended up finding william soaring center which is where i currently fly basically went out there took an introductory lesson and loved it took right to it and just kept going out there i started taking one or two lessons a month essentially uh soloed when i was 15 i uh i unfortunately i when i got into high school inadvertently 
took about a three-year hiatus from flying for a while. Both gliders and RC just got busy with other stuff. Went back out and started flying again when I was 19. Just uh, got my license about, uh, I think, last June. So, last Congratulations. Year. Yeah, thank you. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I was very proud of that achievement. Now I'm just working on my, my commercial glider and my uh, powered airplane at the moment. Oh, very nice. You got a couple of things going on then. Yeah. Yeah, the power is always nice to have that, too, you know, when you want to go from point A to point B. Yeah, originally, uh, gliders, I had always imagined myself as a, or I always imagined flying gliders as a stepping stone to powered. But as, as I've flown gliders more and more, I've gone, I've come to appreciate the sport and the art of gliding more. You know, powered is still my, my, you know, my main, my mainstay, but um, I, I definitely, I love soaring now. What did you start out when you were flying? Did you like I started with the 233? What was right. the glider you started with? Well, we're very fortunate at uh, William Soaring Center where uh, we have a pretty much entirely glass fleet. So training there starts in an ASK 21. Very um, nice. We do, yeah. So we're you know very lucky over there. We do have one Schweitzer, but that's mostly a ride glider. We have a 232. Um, very nice Schweitzer. But yeah, all training there is pretty much done in ASK 21s. Once you once you complete the training in the 21, then you move on to the 23, which is you know the single seat version of the uh, of the 21, and uh, that's actually probably what I have most of my hours in currently is uh, ASK 23. Yeah, so I, I hear stories about people moving from like a 126 or something into a 21. It's a different world moving onto a glass moving onto glass ships. Yeah, it definitely feels different. The glass ships compared to like the 126 or the 233. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've flown a couple of the glass ships. Yeah, it definitely, definitely was a big difference. Right. What but were you able to fly? Flew the Grobe 103. Okay. And then the ASK 21. So those are the only two glass ships that I've flown. Mm-hmm. And now I pretty much just go around in the 126. So it's a lot of fun though. It's yeah. a single, nice single seater glider to get out there and mm-hmm. get some lift and or go out and do some ridge soaring. What's the uh, glide ratio on a 126? 23 to 1 something like oh, that okay. it's it, it's not a lot gotcha yeah the uh the 21 it's you know we get used to a 30 about a 34 to 1 glider ratio we do glider calculations at around 25 to 1 to be conservative but right um, we we definitely you know we definitely have a little bit of leeway in comparison to people who start out in older older airplanes so you know you're not you're not going a far distance unless you really get some <laughs> right but right it kind of disciplines you to stay close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right now is kind of the point in my flying career in terms of staying close. Because we have we, we are fortunate enough to have all these glass ships, it's really I'm really trying to get away from the airport and really get comfortable flying a fair distance away, ha- always having the potential to land out, trying to really stretch my cross-country legs. What are you using in the cockpit as far as a flight computer? So... One of the uh, benefits to um, flying out at Williams um, is the uh, whole glider port is owned by um, a man named uh, Rex. He not only owns the glider port, but is the CEO of ClearNav uh, Flight Computers, and he is the sole U.S. dealer for Schleicher gliders. So pretty much everything out of Williams is outfitted with ClearNav flight instruments uh, for flight computers. So, you know, that, that comes with a, a flight computer similar to uh, LXNav, if you're familiar with them. We also make electronic Varios to pair with the uh, flight computer. So that's basically what we've been using mostly. Ah. 
very nice. You're set up then. You're good to go. Yeah. No, we it's uh it, it's it's all really nice equipment out there. Like I said, very fortunate for what we have. So recently you've started getting into the learning portion as far as racing gliders. Mm-hmm. And we were talking earlier, you actually went to it was kind of like a racing camp. That's right. So we uh, there was a junior camp slash race that was uh, put together by one of our pilots that flies there uh, named uh, Thomas Greenhill. So we were approached. We were approached by him and said, hey, we're doing this uh, camp race. Would you like to participate? And uh, I said, yeah, um, I'd always love to learn more about cross country. I've, you know, I've done attempts at cross country, just flying out to the mountains. We have a mountain range about eh, about 10 miles west of the airport. So that's a lot of where the cross country has been, you know, is going on. So I said, yeah, I'm not really familiar with racing, but yeah, I'd like to participate. And so if we show up and it's supposed to be a five day race and uh, first day, the practice day got rained out. So it was basically paperwork day. People were coming in. We got kids coming in from a lot of them were engineering students from Cal Poly or Davis or something. UC Davis. We get all this paperwork done. We're just, you know, we have dinner, food. No one flies. And then the next day I have to go do something else. So that was a good day. And then we missed out on the I missed out on the flying that day. It was good conditions and people got some good flights in. Um, nothing major. And then. I come back that weekend. It's the one, pretty much the one really sorable day. We have a direct task task to do. Basically, I think about a 40-mile task or so. That, that ended up, we had, uh, I think, two people land out over the course of that week. So that was really interesting. And I ended up essentially going to the starting gate of the task and then flying about, I don't know, probably 10 miles or so. Um, into the task before I had to just fly back and get back to the airport. <laughs> but uh, it was um, it was the conditions essentially that day were low low hanging clouds, pretty weak lifts. So pretty much all we were doing all day was uh, about three thousand thirty five hundred feet above the ground. So it was more it was almost akin to uh, to ridge soaring than it was just regular thermal lift. But uh, luckily. I was in the seat of a um, ASW 24, which is about 44 to one glider ratio. So I had a little bit of leeway there. Uh, Thomas was flying an ASW 22, which uh, has about a 60 to one glider ratio. It's a 26 and a half meter glider, like just amazing machine. And uh, he ended up finishing the task, much more experienced uh, cross country pilot than I, but um, he, he did the task. It was, uh, it was a lot, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was a big learning experience for me. It was, it was the first time really, that I had gotten to really get comfortable being low away from the airport. I mean, I'm always the guy that I'll go out 15 miles, but I'll leave wherever I'm at at 8,000 feet. So I get back to the airport, you know, I have 3,000 feet left over our pattern altitude. And it's like, uh, well, I kind of wasted altitude. I kind of wasted the toe. So now it's really about, okay, really getting used to that glide ratio, really trusting the machine and uh, being able to um, effectively use my altitude to really maximize distance. Um, so a lot of it's, you know, learning the techniques of soaring, but a lot of it's also, hey, I just need to be confident in myself and in the glider to be able to even do what I need to do to go out and make a good cross-country flight. Oh, yeah, when the airport starts slipping away, you know, it's yeah. like... <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you're about five miles out and you're at 2,200 feet and the, that, that looks like a flat glide back, you know, and especially if you if you're not super familiar with the conditions or something. Um, most people that landed out weren't from the glider port. So, you know, kind of feel for those guys. But yeah, no, it's 
it's a it's a surreal feeling. It, it's uh, you got to really get you got to really understand what you're flying and really get comfortable with those you know that that low flat glide back. Yeah, I mean, I imagine I haven't gotten any cross country experience yet, so mm-hmm. that is that is an adventure in my future. But ju- you know, just thinking about it, when when even when I'm in the glider and I get a little little ways out and the airport's starting mm-hmm. to look a lot smaller. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's like you know, you start getting a little nervous. Like, okay, I should be okay, but <laughs> if I hit some sink right now, I'm gonna be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely. Um, I think when by the time by the time like Thomas or a couple other guys got out to the uh, to the edge of the task, they were 30 miles away from the glider port and around 3,500 feet. And it's just you have to know what you're doing at those distances. And at that altitude, that that's not something I don't I, I think I was really prepared to do, but I did learn a lot from it. Yeah, well, kudos to you for going out and checking it out and actually attempting it. I mean, that you know, that's a lot. That's a lot of faith in yourself to do that. Yeah, um, and it, it's something you know I I consistently want to build. It wasn't you know it wasn't a particularly great day for uh, cross country, especially for someone who doesn't have a lot of cross country experience. But uh, it was a good learning day. That's uh, we we find that a lot at, uh, at at Williams. The conditions there aren't always consistently amazing. Say guys that fly out of you know Arizona, New Mexico, or the guys down in New Zealand or something like that. They're not always amazing conditions. And so it's a it's a really good learning atmosphere because the conditions vary all the time. So you could have a booming day, but then you could also have a day where hey, you know bases are at 3,500 feet. And you want to go complete this task, it's consistent, but you got to be comfortable with being low and a long distance away from the airport if you want to complete this task. It's just environments like that really uh, accentuate the uh, learning curve. I think it's fun. It, it's, it's, it's especially good for juniors that are flying out there to really not fly in amazing conditions, because if you can fly the not amazing conditions, then you'll be really well at flying the great conditions. So Exactly. Learning days are the best days, you know, because yeah. you, you never know when you got to pull that out of your back pocket and be like, OK, I got this right. because I remember that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It, was, it, it ended up being a lot of fun. So that's that's what it's really all about at the end of the day. Good. I You know, I heard about the race a little bit from Thomas and it sounded like it was going to be you know, pretty amazing. And a lot of junior pilots out there kind of I don't know if it was their first time, but maybe a lot of them it was their first time. So, uh, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, that had to have been very, very exciting for them, you know. Yeah, definitely. It, definitely for a lot of us, it was um, it was our first time tr- attempting to fly a real task. It was my first time trying to fly a real task. Most of my flying was, oh, I'm going to go out to the mountains and go see how far I get or see how high I get. A lot of the guys there, one that flies out there pretty consistently with me, it was his first time um, flying a task. It was a race, so to speak, but it was really a, a just a learning a learning camp for uh, most people out there we weren't trying we none of us were really trying to beat each other or anything like that we were all just kind of working together and trying to figure out okay what can we do and make this work as best as we can we had a select amount of mentors out there a lot of older pilots that had a lot of cross-country experience out there helping people thomas's father actually helped me out a lot i flew with him quite a bit in that during my flight just kind of we were circling trying to find lift and circling around 2,500 feet. He was pretty confident we were going to make it back to the airport. There was a few times I thought I was going to have to land out. So there was, a, as, as a, my dad calls it, butt pucker factor going on. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now you can do some ridge soaring in that area as well as thermals? 
Ridge is less common it, okay. um, where we fly. Uh, most of what we do is thermal lifts, um, and in the winter we get pretty significant wave. Uh, I've only flown in the wave once, and that was on accident, but there are guys out there that do very long distance, very high altitude win- uh, wave flights. One guy in particular that uh, comes to mind is we have a pilot that flies out there named uh, Kempting Uzuno, who's actually doing a uh, uh, SSA webinar, if you're familiar with those, today. Yes. And... Um, by the time this gets uploaded, it'll that that would be that will be far gone. However, he's the distance guy, so he goes up and he does flights to you know to give some context. We're about a hundred miles away from the San Francisco area, right? And he does flights to San Francisco and back. He'll go from Northern California to the Oregon border and back. You know, he's gone for seven eight hours at a time. Some just incredible flights, um, and they're you know he documents his flights and uploads them to our forum or our like Gliderport forum and stuff. And he's a great resource. We uh, will do talks and seminars at Williams, and he is a great resource for cross country as well as a lot of other guys that are out there just talking about weather and figuring out the best ways to do things. He uh, he's also part owner in an uh, ASH 25 two seater. So if you can always, if you catch him on a good day, you might be able to ride back seat in his glider or something so nice yeah you got to soak all that information up if it's there you know they're yeah. they're happy to tell you about it and it's great to learn from them so i always try to pick up all that info from you know the older guys that have been doing it for a long time because they just have a lot of knowledge yeah i mean i'm probably biased but uh there's a lot of guys that i've heard that have been to other glider ports and they think williams is you know the best airport in the in the country, if not if not the world, it's, or it's one of the best. It's got to be up there. We we have a lot of talent in terms of cross country. Uh, the fleet there is superb. Like I said, I'm biased, but I you know it's a it's a great it's a great place to fly. Well, I'll have to check that out eventually <laughs> when I get out out that way. Yeah, there's not a lot of places out here in Northern California. Not a whole bunch, at least. Um, a lot of unfortunately, a lot of uh, places around here have closed up. We've had a uh, we had a glider port in a place called Calistoga. They closed up. There's a, I think, probably recently about three different glider ports that closed up in the last like 10 years or so. We're still holding out with Williams. Well, you know, that's why we're we're doing this, the podcast. We're trying to help with that and trying to help with people getting excited and getting back into soaring. And if not back into it, getting into it, period, if they haven't done it yet. So that's what it's all about, keeping in touch and making this thing happen and get mm-hmm. people excited about it, you know. Yeah, especially the younger generation. I know uh, we we joke if we could see a bell curve of uh, the age of people that fly gliders. I think the average age or something like that is like, I think, 45 years old. Or it's, it's, you know, not a lot of young people out there flying gliders, unfortunately. So we need to have more camps like you all had, you know, to get the young people out there, get them excited and yeah, get them definitely. into racing. Because racing seems like, you know, it would catch a lot of people's attention, even if they don't know about soaring you know mm-hmm. they hear that they hear the word racing they're like oh what's that about you know right yeah no it, it, there's definitely an alert to it and i you know i, I really think that uh probably with any facet of aviation the the, the barrier to entry is as a uh, cost you know, it's, it's not it's not a cheap hobby for me uh it's a for me it's always been a career path i currently i'm lucky enough i, I work out at williams for flight time if, if you can if you can figure out a way, if you can find a way, this is what I usually tell people, if you can find a way, and you're truly passionate about flying, and you can find a way to uh, to work for your flight time, take that opportunity. I think it's the best way to do it. 
you know, you could you could argue whether or not flight training should cost what it does, but that you know, you can get into economics arguments all you want. But um. that's actually how I started flying gliders. I was flying powered for a while and then kind of got out of it. It got very expensive. Right. And I started checking out other options, you know, to fly that I could get in the air and it wouldn't cost me so much money. And it's right. funny because so I got into gliders because I discovered, you know, it was less money. And then I fell in love with soaring. So now I'm doing it because I love it. But, yeah, that's initially that's how I got into it because of the cost. Yeah. Um, and I've seen... You know, I've seen a lot of people come out, or not a lot of people, but I've seen a few people come out to the glider port and work for flight time for, you know, a fair a bit of time. I know um, there have been guys that worked there before I did that are, you know, they're airline pilots now. And that's kind of the path I'm looking to pursue at this point. If you can, if you can get a foothold somewhere and you don't necessarily have to pay for your flight time, either by working or networking, there, you know, there's lots of things, there's lots of options out there that um, people, you know, people help those who help themselves so if people really see some kind of potential in you uh you know there's opportunity out there that uh, you just have to look for it exactly and there is a shortage of pilots and i guess it's if they say it's going to grow so there's opportunity out there you know if you want to get into it and do it for a living for sure oh yeah now i mean now is a now's a great time to get into this into the sport and into the hobby and you know if if making a career out of it something that grabs you then there's uh, lots of ways to do it. So, Ted, I wanted to ask you, you know, there's always those memorable flights that we have. Um, well, since we're on the topic of cross-country, um, I guess I'll bring up a cross-country flight that uh, is pretty memorable to me. Rex's son, Ben, who's also an instructor out at Williams, um, took me out in a, uh, in a um, ASG-32, which is a, uh, a 20-meter glass ship, a uh, Schleicher glider. And we went out. It was a pretty good day. Ben Ben comes up to me and says, hey, we're going to go cross-country flying, get in the front seat. So I said, okay. And uh, we take off, and we start out um, about 10 miles away from the airport. We uh, took turns handing off the stick back and forth to each other. Bases were around 10,000 feet. It was a it was a really good day. We, were, we ended up being gone for a little over three hours. It was a 222-mile flight start to finish. Oh, wow. So uh, we ended up, yeah, and I didn't realize until uh, afterwards um, that it was his longest flight as well. And uh, the funny thing about it was, is we were, we got to, we got far, we got to this peak that's pretty far north of the glider port, about, I think, I don't know, 50, longer than that, maybe like 100 miles north, some, I don't know if it was that long, I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but um, one of the big things you'll hear about flying near mountains is never get behind the mountain, right? Um, never get lower than the mountain. And we ended up uh, we ended up getting a little bit behind the mountain. I thought everything was fine. I had full trust in Ben. I, I wasn't I wasn't uh, nervous in the least bit. But then we get on the ground, he's like, that was really scary. I'm like, what are you talking about? We got behind the mountain. Like, well, you didn't tell me. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I had full trust in him, so uh, we ended up getting back, and it was a great flight. It was his, it was his longest flight on record, and uh, it was a great um, cross country experience for me. Yeah, wow, what a great experience! That is, that's awesome. What was your, what did you top out that day? You think? Ooh, we got to about I think eleven thousand five hundred. I think that was our our max altitude that day, a little over eleven thousand feet. Oh, very um, cool. Yeah, the uh, 
I had mentioned earlier that I had gotten myself into some inverted wave one time. That was pretty. That was a pretty interesting flight as well. That day, bases were bases of clouds were still pretty good, and they're about 6,500 feet. So I tow up, and uh, I towed up to about 3,000 feet under this big fat dark cumulus cloud. I'm like, okay, this is gonna be pretty good. So I get off tow around 3,000 and circle all the way up. I get up to 6,500 feet, get right up to the base of this cloud and circle back out. I'm like, okay, I suppose that's the uh, end of the that thermal. So I circle out of this cloud and then I keep rising. And I think to myself, okay, is there some residual lift on the edge of this cloud? And I thought about that, thought about that until it was 1,000 feet above the cloud. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I look down, I see this cloud that was at 6,500 feet and I say, okay, now what's going on? And I'm flying in a straight line, straight line, just headed south, and I keep going up at five knots. What is this? It finally hits me at about 8,500 feet that I'm in wave, and I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and there was that, that day was crazy because nowhere I could go, I, cu- I couldn't, I could find no sink anywhere. So I was just flying in any direction. There was four or five knots, um, four to five knots of lift, until I get up to 10,000 feet and I'm cold and there's a cloud base forming under me and I got scared. So uh, I yeah. ended up using spoilers to get back down. I'm just, all right, it's, uh, it's time to go home now. So, Well, that's, but, uh, you know, it's good. It's always, it's always better to be safe, especially, you know, you were in a situation where you ran into wave and you hadn't, you hadn't done that before. And like you said, the cloud was forming beneath you. So, yeah, I think that's a good decision. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that that flight. That's a that's a definitely a flight I like to tell to people. It was just, I, the day I inadvertently got into a wave. It's always kind of funny. Yeah, that's great, man. So what about you? What kind of have you ever flown? Have you ever gotten to fly wave before? I have not flown in wave yet. Like I said, right now I'm mm-hmm. still kind of hanging out closer to the airport, flying the 126. Right. Um, I've been in a couple good thermals and mm-hmm. and I topped out like 8,700 feet. So that was a good day. That was kind of unexpected. It was good. It was uh, humbling, and it was like, okay, yeah, this mm-hmm. this uh, thermaling stuff can get get really serious, you know? <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Especially when you see uh, your variometer spike to ten or something like that. You know, you're climbing at a at ten knots. It's uh, it's it's pretty crazy. It's um, I've heard someone describe it as uh, almost like magic. And when you're just when you're rising with no engine, that's it's always fun to tell people or explain to people how that works. Um, because gliding is kind of a, a little niche form of aviation that not not a lot of people are familiar with. You know, most people who don't really think about flying at all are fairly unfamiliar with the whole concept. So when you talk about gliding and say, yeah, this guy, he flew 300 miles and was gone for five hours in a, in a glider with no engine. You know, that's People are usually dumbfounded by that. It's, uh, it's something you really have to experience to kind of understand. Yeah, they just kind of give you that blank stare like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then you kind of explain, well, I mean, right, you know, hot air rises and we use that rising air and you stay aloft. And it's I, I've taken a few friends on rides and uh, the experience is, um, is always, you know, the, the, taking someone on their first glider flight is something that can't be uh, that can't be replaced. It's um, how different people react to it. And um, especially just the concept of flying aerotow is just so foreign to some people, you know getting pulled up by another airplane is just a is just something that um, boggles a lot of a lot of people's minds especially on a I think uh, the first or second ride I did um, we had a 25 knot north wind gusting to 30 
you know, I, I text I text my friend and say, hey, the winds are really high today. It's 25 gusting to 30. You still want to do this? And I get, yeah, I trust you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and it, it's stuff like that. When you when you just see the people's reactions and when they you know they look down and they just kind of they love the whole experience. One of you know it's it's a quiet cockpit, so there's no yelling or anything. There's you know you don't have to yell over the engine or you don't have to wear a radio or a headset. Um, so it's it's a very it can be a very serene experience too, and it's I think it's um, a really good introduction to people who maybe are uh, afraid potentially of flying in a small airplane because once you get up there, it's a really calm experience. It is, you know, having those conversations like you said with no headset on, you're just you're you're having a chat at five thousand feet is is just very cool. Yeah, and that that's a you know that's a, another thing. It's just people people who are unfamiliar can't really wrap their minds around the fact that oh well you're in an airplane but it's almost quieter than a car. So we can just talk at this level and it's, you know, just wind noise. One of the things, uh, one of the things definitely to kind of put that point home is, uh, I'll kind of inch the glider towards stall speed and get it, you know, get it on the back end of the glide curve. And it really just, that wind noise goes away and it just gets super quiet and you can almost whisper in it and still communicate. Oh yeah. It gets real quiet right before that stall. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'll just reiterate a point that I made before, uh, as a tip to, you know, a lot of people my age that want to get into flying. I know, I definitely know a lot of people that uh, that want to fly airplanes, but think they can. Or if uh, you know, this is it's there's a pilot shortage right now, and there's a lot of people that want to get into aviation, just think they can't do it. Um, but if you can, you know, if you can find a way for, to work for your lessons, or you can network and hang around the, you know, hang around the airport, hang around your local glider port if you have one. Um, there's always way, there's always a way to find uh, time to fly and there's always a way to, uh, get those lessons going that, you know, might not necessarily be paying for your lessons. I would say, you know, I'll tell people, you know, don't give up just because the barrier entries, it's cost too much money. You know, always look for a way to kind of network your way into, um, to getting in the cockpit. There's always a way to do it. Yes, there is always a way, you know, if you want something bad enough, there's, there's a way just to go get it. You just got to figure it out, you know, work hard and make it happen yeah and uh you'll appreciate it too you know i i think i did the math uh just by i've been working out the glider port for about two years now and i think i i've used up i don't know somewhere in the realm of thirty five thousand dollars worth of toes or something like something crazy you know it racks up but uh it's it's uh you know if you're not paying for it then you you fly more that way if you have the time um i think you learn more that way just by being out, experiencing, talking to people, networking, talking to people that have more experience than you, helping them. Uh, I think it's the best way to do it. Sometimes, you know, even if you're on the ground, you can have a really good day of learning. Mm-hmm. Well, Ted, I greatly appreciate you taking your time. I know we all have busy schedules. Oh, of and course. I... It means a lot for me and the podcast for you to do that. And everyone has been very helpful and, yeah, greatly appreciated. Oh, of course, I uh, appreciate you having me on. Like I said, it uh, it's uh, it's an honor to be on here. Um, it's the first podcast I've ever done, so new experience for me, but I really enjoyed it. Thank you, and keep up the flying. It's great to see you know younger people flying gliders and staying active in a- aviation. It just encourages some of us older gentlemen out there that the sport's going to continue and there's going to be gliders in the air. Oh yeah, it's it's I don't know, it's it's too cool for younger guys not to get into it. Yes, definitely too cool for anyone not to check it out. Thank you for listening, as well as checking in and leaving positive feedback. 
If you like what you hear, please follow the podcast and leave some feedback on iTunes. It would greatly help us out and help other people to hear the show. If you are a glider pilot and you would like to share your story with us, email me at chuck at soaringthesky.com. Also, you can contact us on the website. That's www.soaringthesky.com where you can look at our guest pilot page for pictures and info. We are looking forward to more stories here on Soaring the Sky. And in the future, an aerobatic pilot is going to tell us how she got her wings and why she chose to get into that type of soaring. Future guests will also include some contest soaring competitors. We are definitely looking forward to that. And if you are thinking about soaring and you just don't know where to get started, as always, Go online, www.ssa.org. You'll be able to find out where to get started and maybe even take your first glider ride. We hope to catch you back right here on the next episode of Soaring the Sky.